to Autism in the Adult podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Teresa Regan, an adult neuropsychologist. I specialize in brain behavior relationships for those 14 and older. I'm the parent of an amazing teen on the autism spectrum and a certified autism specialist. I am deeply grateful to bring validation, hope, and purpose to individuals and their families living on the autism spectrum. With this mission at its core, I founded and currently direct the OSF Healthcare Adult Diagnostic Autism Center in Central Illinois. My books include Understanding Autism in Adults and Aging Adults and Understanding Autistic Behaviors. For more information and to join my online community for free, visit www.adultandgeriatricautism.com. Please join me in helping individuals, couples, and families thrive while living life on the autism spectrum. Hello, and welcome to this podcast. My name is Dr. Teresa Regan. I'm your host, and we're going to talk about this comment that, oh, he can't be on the autism spectrum because he's so social or she's so social. And we're gonna talk about what that means and why that doesn't necessarily mean that the individual is not on the spectrum. So there's really this misunderstanding, I think, what social means, what it refers to on the spectrum. And so we're gonna bust some myths about what social looks like on the spectrum. And we're also going to talk about some of the similarities and differences between a social person and one who may be on the autism spectrum. So I do hear this a lot uh, as a reason that an individual isn't considered to be on the spectrum. And often this means one of two things. He, he's so social may mean, oh, he's so talkative, uh, or it may mean, wow, this person really wants to connect with people. Um, and let's talk about each one in turn. So talkative, an individual can be described as social if they're quite talkative. So the criteria for autism spectrum talk about how skilled someone is with approaching someone to start communication, social communication. So what is social approach like in this individual? Um, it also has to do with whether there's good turn taking in communication, whether there's awareness of social cues, like how do I join this conversation? What's a good thing to say or not say to this particular listener or within this particular context? Um, it has to do with exchanging thoughts, ideas, and experiences. So uh, communication in this context doesn't have to do with just speaking. It has to do with really navigating a social encounter in a way that makes for successful social exchange. The individual who's social may actually have poor social approach. So this is the person that might just indiscriminately approach anyone and talk to anyone. Um, and really, as we get older, um, as we go from, you know, the preschool, kindergarten, etc., we should show increasing savvy about who would be a good person to approach 
and in what context. So we really want to have more awareness of the other person and more awareness of what's happening in that moment. So there's a big difference, for example, between seeing a friend in Walmart and approaching them and saying hello and starting this conversation uh, than there would be, for example, uh, being in a courtroom and everyone has a specific role and it's a serious context and it's not your turn to talk. Uh, that would be really that unskilled social communication where you take turns, you know your role, you shouldn't be talking to lawyers and the judge and visitors in the courtroom indiscriminately. So part of this is knowing who the person is uh, that you're approaching, what the context is, uh, and making judgments about that. So even if we're going to have small talk with a stranger, that's really appropriate in a particular context. Let's say you're waiting in a long line at a store and you just kind of make some small talk that's not too personal, not too long, but um, just is a friendly exchange. That's very appropriate. But it shows us awareness of this context. Uh, I'd have this ability to exchange this information and still have it be a really nice, friendly exchange. So another thing about the person on the spectrum is that one of the criteria has to do with um, taking turns in social exchange. So is the conversation able to be this volley back and forth, this tennis match, if you will, where I uh, reveal something about my thoughts and experiences, maybe questions that I have, and I then let the other person take a turn. So maybe I would like their input or I would like to hear what their experience has been. And we're always kind of taking turns because the goal for this exchange is a social exchange. Uh, it's not just to exchange facts, it's to achieve some type of social goal. So I've had a good conversation with this person, this person felt comfortable, I learned some interesting things, I made a new friend, etc. So there's a difference between social communication and perhaps asking where an item is located in the store or uh, asking a police officer for directions. The social exchange that's discussed on the spectrum has to do with exchanging thoughts, ideas, feelings, and having this back and forth communication. So the person that talks too much might be described as so social, but again, it's not this appropriate awareness of the back and forth, the taking turns, uh, that we're both involved in this exchange. Um, so it's that would be social per se, but it really doesn't meet that nice uh, ability to navigate social exchange that we would like to see. In addition, sometimes people are described as very social when they talk a lot and talk about things they are interested in. So talkative people may talk your ear off for hours and hours about their favorite activity um, without this turn-taking and exchange, 
But if you would like to talk about your favorite interest or your activities, there would be very little uh, tolerance for that or very little ability to know what to say. So those are the kinds of things that you keep in mind when someone is described as so social, very talkative. You know, is this indiscriminate? Is it random? Is it one-sided? And is it really focused on their own interests, their own life, rather than having this nice awareness of the listener and of the context? Now let's switch over to the individual who really wants friends or is very um, aware of and interested in uh, people. Uh, so there's this strong desire to connect. In actuality, I find that that's very common on the spectrum. And you will have a, a wide variety of how much people want to be around others, but there is this common base most of the time where people don't want to be entirely alone. They may prefer quite a bit of alone time, but they want to have some anchor, some connection, some uh, resonance with another person. And they often feel lonely in the sense that they aren't able to achieve that. Some people on the spectrum who really are interested in people, again, may be indiscriminate in that interest. So there may be someone who has a thousand friends on Facebook, but they really don't know these people. They aren't friends that they then accept as Facebook friends, but they're indiscriminate. And so you get this problem with the individual's ability to discriminate what a friend is and how friendships occur on different levels of intimacy. Uh, one of the criteria for spe the spectrum has to do with the ability to understand, to develop, and to maintain friendships and peer connections and social relationships. So how do I start a friendship? A lot of people say, well, it just happened, or well, I live in the house with my sister and therefore I'm friends with her or I'm close with her. So sometimes people base their friendship uh, by the fact that they are in close proximity to this person rather than the fact that they exchange a lot of their inner world with the person. They may find that friendships start without any clear reason or launching point. They may consider everyone their friend. So for example, I asked one young gentleman, um, tell me about your friends. And really everyone on the spectrum that I work with always describes having friendships. Um, but then it's when you get into the details that you're able to see that this relationship that they're calling a friendship has different qualities than we typically would like to see as those connections that are really effective and close and more typical for that age range. So I asked the gentleman, uh, tell me about your friends. Do you have a best friend? And he started to think and he said, you know, I'm not uh, picky, I don't play favorites. I treat everyone the same, so everyone is my friend. I don't have a best friend. 
And that actually shows just a poor awareness that there are levels of intimacy, levels of connection. And when we have peer connections, we may be in proximity to people that are nice or friendly or their acquaintances, but a friendship is something different. A friendship is what develops when you spend time together, when you exchange your own internal world with their internal world. So there's a mutuality there's a give and take. There's an evenness in this friendship. I do something for you. You do something for me. I hear about your inner world. You hear about my inner world. And there's a relationship that develops then across topics. So it's not just that this is my friend at chess club and this is my friend at the swimming pool. There is a relationship where the personal exchange transcends any particular activity or topic. Now, you may launch off with a special interest that may be a good way to start a friendship going, but as far as developing a friendship, maintaining a friendship, what we see is that people on the spectrum have fewer peer relationships that are mutual, they both know that they're friends, that are reciprocal, there's this even exchange and sharing that occurs across time and across topic. Across time can occur when, for example, let's say uh, someone had a good friend at work and they had developed this friendship working with this person over uh, a solid decade or so, and then the person moved away. And then you can see that this ability to maintain this connection when the proximity is no longer there, that that can be quite a bit more difficult on the spectrum. And even if they didn't move away, let's say they just took a different job, but they're still local. The same thing can happen, that if the person isn't in proximity, this maintenance of a social connection can be very difficult. Um, so the person's not just there in my everyday life. We don't have this opportunity to exchange and the individual doesn't create opportunities to exchange. Sometimes people on the spectrum say they're closest with family members. Uh, sometimes they may really gravitate toward people who are much younger or much older than they are, but really struggle to have connection with peers, people of their own age, where there should be this equality and this mutual exchange. There was one woman that I worked with that was described as very social within her family because she uh, held huge birthday parties for all the nieces and nephews every time they had a birthday. And she also would have her niece come over, who is local, and they would plan these really nice, fun uh, girls' nights where they watched a movie and they painted each other's nails and they baked cookies. Um, and those were just really fun for the kids. And Therefore, within the family, she looked to be very social. She had never married and had no children of her own, and she did have a job she went to every day and 
had those daily activities. But we can see in actually looking at her life that her ability to form a social connection with someone that's mutual and a peer that's kind of on this even level of exchange was much, much harder for her. And that's where often in the spectrum we see the most discrepancy between where people would like to find themselves. I'd like to connect with a person. I'd like someone to get me. I'd like to have a person that's my best go-to person. But instead, when people connect with someone much older or younger, sometimes it's because they feel they can develop a role that's more clear. So I have a role of mentor, or I have a role of this really fun aunt, and I plan activities, and we have a really good time one-on-one with these specific activities that I've planned, and we can really have a very nice time. The type of social, though, that's more difficult is getting together with a peer or a group of peers and saying, hey, let's hang out. Let's uh, try this new restaurant. Let's uh, talk over drinks. Let's celebrate this person's birthday by going to this new place. So having this variety of activity, having mutual exchange, getting together even when there's not a task or a topic or a specific event, that I get together because I want to share my inner world with you and I'd like to learn more about your inner world. So the activity and the connection is more about human exchange than it is about a task, an event, and activity. When people are connecting with those much younger or older, it's more likely that they're connecting through a specific role that's not, uh, they're not in an equal position in the relationship. Maybe they're a mentor, maybe they're being mentored, um, but there's, there's an activity usually. There's not this just relational goal. So it's not that we have this equal exchange. It's not that we have this friendship that is mutual and equal and reciprocal and goes across time and goes across context. So these are some things that people may say when they say someone's so social and therefore cannot be on the spectrum. Or sometimes in schools on their Uh, a student's IEP, which is their Individualized Education Program document, sometimes teachers will say, oh, they have lots of friends. Well, usually this doesn't mean this equal exchange of close relationship across time and context. Usually it means that there's lots of people that maybe say hi to them in the hallways, they know lots of people's names, Um, They get together in certain specific clubs after school. But when you really see if there's been an interpersonal exchange, that really hasn't happened. So one of the things I might ask the student is, well, give me a name of the peer that you're closest with. And let's say they say, well, Karen is my closest peer. Okay, then you want to know, what have Karen's emotions been lately? What is Karen interested in that you're not interested in? 
have you ever gotten together with Karen outside of school or outside of a club or an event? These would be things that would help you distinguish if the relationship expands beyond saying hello in the hallway or beyond telling a joke or meeting at chess club. You know, is this an actual interpersonal connection or is it a nice person who's an acquaintance in close proximity within the school and sometimes they connect related to a topic? These are things to keep in mind when we see people that look very social and yet really are struggling in the social area. This may be why. For autism spectrum, people might look talkative, they might look very interested in connecting with others or interested in other people, and yet that's where things break down. This ability to have mutual exchange, to take turns, to have this equality in the relationship and to have the relationship and the communication cross over time and context. Knowing what's the appropriate thing to say. When is it appropriate to say this? When might it be misconstrued? When should I stay quiet? When should I be serious in the conversation? And when is joking appropriate? That's the social behavior that we would love to see, but where it often breaks down for people on the spectrum. Thanks for joining me today as we talked about this misunderstanding of what social can mean and what the difference between social and someone on the spectrum might be. Uh, And we don't want people to get missed, you know, just because someone's talkative. They actually might be struggling quite a bit with communicating on a social basis and connecting with other people. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.